Sound Space, brought to you by Spectrum Life, bringing you real life, real conversation, and real advice from the best in class experts across all areas of physical and mental well being. Join our host weekly and learn how to improve and reflect on your well being. Welcome to this episode with me, Jack Kavanagh. Today we are joined by Justin Caffrey and we will be discussing loss, grief, healing and what true success means. After losing his son 10 years ago, Justin turned to Eastern psychology, philosophy and neuroscience to make sense of his experience. When you leave the extremes of private equity and hedge funds for Buddhism, you can expect some interesting outcomes. As he says himself, I have achieved the material successes that most people are striving for, only to find an emptiness. Loss and sadness brought me to a point of deep reflection. So much of my life had been built on my desire to control, manipulate and win. Then I watched my son die. It was a moment when the universe demonstrated her unyielding power to disrupt without concern for casualty. This is one you won't want to miss. Enjoy. Justin Caffrey, you are very welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks, Jack. I'm great. I'm always good to see your smile and face. It always lights me up, so it's great to be here. And uh, thanks for inviting me on. Oh, well, I'm really excited to get into this conversation. And before we do, just to give people a little bit of context, where in the world are you talking to us from? I'm in Greystones in County Wicklow, so in the Garden County, um, and it's a bit wet and wild today, but um, yeah, I'm talking to you from Greystones and, and here in my office. Fantastic. You know, we've known each other for, for maybe two years now, and like everyone, both of us have different elements of our stories. So we've got the public side and the private side, and you've chosen to share some of the hardest elements of of your life publicly, and and I think it's it's a very courageous thing to do so, but it gives others a real space to make sense of their own lives, I think, when when one person chooses to be vulnerable in that way. What I find so interesting, though, is that the hard part of life that you experienced, the dramatically hard part, served as a huge transition point from one style of living to a very new style of living. And and so I'd love to just briefly set the scene as to who Justin Caffrey was and, and what he was all about uh, as he went through his sort of 20s and and those formative years coming out of your teenage years and into your 20s sure thanks jack yeah i mean i think i think in many ways you know we 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 are multiple personas across um the the myriad of of years that we live and and at 46 i'm definitely very different to how i was when i was 26 and, and for that matter very different to how i was when i was 16 um and from a background perspective, um, I, I grew up in I grew up in Dublin, 
Um, I, I went to Dublin in Northside Dublin. Um, for those who know the area, I went to primary school in, in, in Ballymon. Um, I went to secondary school in a pretty tough environment in, in St. Aidan's uh, in Whitehall. Um, and I grew up um, with parents that were struggling financially, um, emotionally. Um, my father was, was chronically depressed for, for all of my life. Um, and, I, and I saw a lot of tragedy at a young age. Um, my, my father's sister, who was my godmother, who I was very close to, committed suicide when I was seven. Um, and my father was suicidal um, throughout my teenage years. He had electric shock treatment. Um, he was institutionalized. So I struggled with my identity, um, but I also didn't want to end up where they were. Um, and at a, at a very formative age of, of 12, I remember walking up the stairs and seeing my parents um, upset and, 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 and crying, trying to figure out how they were managing some bills. And I just had this very clear thought that I will never want for money. You know, I had a very clear focus in my mind that that's not going to happen to me. And I had challenges to, to boot with that because I was chronically dyslexic. Um, I was told by, by my teachers at the time that I'm just, you know, uh, stupid. Um, and, um, and I couldn't really figure all that out. But something inside me, I knew that I could see and understand the world a bit differently than everybody else. And I could, I could retain large amounts of information. So um, I, I made my way through school. Um, I went to college to study computer science because I could understand computer code um, incredibly well. Um, and uh, then I dropped out, um, went to banking. I went to London when I was 19, really because I wanted to to get away from me and and the, the persecuted me that I saw. And to recreate, you know, the, the new persona, which, which London um, gave me that opportunity I went there, I worked in banking. I had a very successful career at a very young age. Um, by the time I was 22, 23, I was making a couple of hundred thousand pounds um, a year, which which in the 90s and, and, and uh, ended in the 90s was um, a lot of money. Um, I had a massive ego um, to go with this. So every time I was more successful, I was looking back to those building blocks and thinking, you know, I made this. You know, this is all me. Um, nobody was helping me before, and now I have, you know, really crafted this 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 persona. Um, and as a net result, in my twenties, I just worked. Um, I was a workaholic. I left banking at twenty three because I'd had enough promotions, and I was told by by um, my my CEO at the time that uh, you need to cool your heels now and um, accept that you're too young and wait a bit longer. Um, which just immediately made me think, no, you're just in my way. I need to leave. So left, set up my own firm, built my own business, um, had probably no real social life and pushed myself every year until at some point in the summer where my body would just give up and I'd phone my travel agent, tell them to get me somewhere quiet and away for 10 days. And I'd go and recuperate um, without being on holiday with anybody else because I never knew when I was going to go away because I just worked. Um, and then I come home and then just jump back on and, and away and push. And, and that's that was the pure focus and motivation during that period. I was drinking most definitely, um, but I was not um, during the week. It wasn't a focus. Um, 
and I was out at the weekend. So it was drive, determination, and uh, vigor um, were all at the core of my being throughout that year. And I don't really remember my 20s very much either. Yeah, so so driven largely by, I suppose, a fear of scarcity. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Still have it to this day. It's still there, um, but I'm aware of it now so I can see it. Yeah, and and so it leads you to this place where from the outside you know incredibly successful in in terms of a career progression and uh the the bank account is looking pretty healthy and and so many of the things that that culture says are are tick the box justin's doing well and yet as you said it usually culminated in at some point of the summer the body saying no so to speak and um to quote the title of a fantastic book um the body saying no and and you being pushed to a place where you just had to uh rest coming towards the end of your 20s you (laughs) maybe loosen the shackles a little bit on on uh your willingness to socialize and you meet uh, a lovely lady that um you decide to make a go of it with and and is that kind of a transition period where things start to change a little bit yeah to to a degree i think um they did because um you know i met my wife beatrice i had some really bad attempts at being in relationships um with women up until that point and um i would say um i wasn't a particularly good person to be in a relationship with but when I met my wife, she really wasn't particularly interested in me. Um, and that kind of really uh, fuels her deep interest to understand why. So she she would reflect back now and say, well, you know, you're a little bit arrogant and, and annoying. Um, and I think that's probably an understatement. But at the time when we met, I was CEO of, of a, a business that I owned um, with a business partner. Um, we had a couple of hundred employees. We were you know, turning over 30, 40 million um, and, and running business in, in a couple of different countries. I also was um, running a, a stable of racehorses. So life was pretty mental um, when, when I met Beatrice. But I suppose the best way to sum it up is uh, about six months after we met, I actually moved into her house and um, I lived in a, in, a, in a very nice penthouse apartment and um, I was driving like a hundred and fifty thousand pound sports car, but when I moved into her house, I literally moved in with a couple of plastic bags because I didn't actually have any possessions. Like my apartment, the oven had never been used, the fridge was probably hardly ever used. Um, I didn't have any cutlery or food. I just eat out all the time. Um, I had no material possessions, uh, you know, bar like you know a, and a table. Um, so it, it just shows how vacuous so much of my life was and and the richness of moving into beatrice's house where it was filled with books and plants and pictures and signs of life um so it was like this this inanimate being was moving into this rich um um, multicultural life um so it was transformational and um and it was challenging you know because she had to deal with me and I wasn't easy to deal with. Um, And I think I was most definitely struggling with mental health at that stage. You know, I had got bouts of depression um, and anxiety 
Um, my nephew had died um, uh, four years earlier of meningitis when he was 18 months old. Um, and I hadn't grieved for Nabil's loss. I'd gone into therapy for um, maybe a few sessions and then and then ran um, and, and the therapist wrote to me and said, you know, you need to you need to deal with your past. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to do with that. Um, so we, even when I met Beatrice at that stage, it, although we were in love, um, I was struggling at times, but hiding it very well and medicating most definitely with alcohol. Yeah, maybe a pattern that would come back uh, and, and be a wake up call eventually. Um, but to, to move to the next phase of, of life, kids come on the mind and and you had your first child um which is a huge moment i'm sure in in your life i i haven't been there yet but but it uh is a huge moment for for any person that has a child uh, and then you had a couple of miscarriages before before joshua yeah so uh, yeah it was first child luca our first attempt really and um we got pregnant and um, luca had his challenges when he was born he was born with cleft lip and palate um, which was traumatic for new parents. And, and he's had uh, eight or nine surgeries throughout his life, his first major surgery when he was two months old. But then after that, we, we decided to try again and we had um, three miscarriages. And then, and then and we gave up, actually. We, we stopped because that was traumatic and it was hugely painful emotionally um, and, and physically torturous for Beatrice. Um, and then, and then, you know, lo and behold, we, we ended up being pregnant at a time when we thought let's stop. Um, and, and that's when, um, Beatrice was pregnant with Joshua and, and our second son came along. Now I'm conscious to treat this time very respectfully because, um, Joshua arrived premature and uh, and with that comes any number of health complications. But not only that, you were also in a foreign country when this happened. Um, so just briefly, would you bring us through uh, Joshua's life and um, a little bit about that time for you as a family? Sure. So uh, at 26 weeks or 25 weeks, um, we went to Spain for for a quick vacation um, before um, we prepared for the second child. Um, and a few days into our holiday there, Beatrice's waters broke, um, which was not something nice to find out. And that was three o'clock in the morning. We got her to hospital, um, which was 150 miles away got her into hospital, they stabilized her. Um, but then a few days later, she started bleeding badly. Um, and um, there was an emergency cesarean. Um, we didn't speak Spanish. We were in Malaga Maternity Hospital, and this was 2010. And nobody in the hospital, really, except one nurse, um, had any English that could help us. And she was Canadian. So um, life stopped. Um, Joshua was born. He was... Um, weighing less than a kilo um, and um, very unlikely and given no real chance of survival. Um, but he kept surviving day after day after day. 
He spent six months in neonatal intensive care. He was never well enough to even be flown back by air ambulance. Um, he had multiple blood transfusions. He had lesions on the brain. Um, he was born with a hypoxic brain injury. Um, so we knew there was neurological damage um, to come. Um, quite likely to be severe um, cerebral palsy, but very difficult to diagnose in a young child. Um, and uh, so he was in neonatal intensive care for six months. And we had our other son with us at the time, who was three. And we had to get him into play school. We had to find somewhere to live. Um, so our life stopped and we got stuck in Spain. Um, and then after six months, we were given an opportunity to train as his carers to see if we could get him well enough to fly him back, provided we could live within a kilometer of the hospital. So we moved house again, which was the fourth time we moved house in that year. And um, we trained because he was oxygen fed. He was, he was, um, sorry, he was, he was, he was oxygen dependent tube fed. And he also had to have his lungs constantly vacuumed out. So one of us would take turns each night while the other one would sleep. Um, and the doctors would attend to us every day at home. And the plan was to do that for two or three months and see if you could survive and then get him on a plane. Um, and it was working well, and we got him to the point where where we'd even um, made communications with um, uh, the Children's Hospital in Ireland. We decided to come back here, even though we were living in the UK, because we needed family support. And we'd we'd started to plan about ten months in how to airlift him um, from Spain to Ireland. Um, but again, he 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 declined, and many times throughout this, he was intubated. Um, and uh, this was Christmas Eve of 2010. And we had to get him back into hospital again. Our capacity to keep him alive on the oxygen and all of our systems at home wasn't working. We got into hospital and the physician said that they needed to intubate him immediately. And when you're doing rehab um, in terms of, you know, managing the, the the spinal injuries and you know Jack you're you're fully familiar with with the, with the, the difficulties and the challenges of rehab, but in a in a baby the nervous system and the neurological capacity to remember the rehab is almost cancelled out once you intubate them again because the amount of um, drugs that has to be pumped into the body, babies just swell up. Um, so we really knew that we'd lost months of, of work with this with this fourth intubation um, and after they did it the doctors came to us and said look can't do it anymore um, he's not viable um, in terms of our capacity to continue to medicate him and we probably knew that deep down inside but as a parent you keep going until you know you absolutely can't go any further um, so uh, that was the end of our journey, and we were um, very lucky that we fought a battle to get him out of hospital and home with us in our house in Spain um, and to take away all the medical equipment and to have um, three weeks with him as a family. Um, my parents came. Um, Beatrice's mom was there. Luca got some great photographs with his brother um, and... And Joshua died very peacefully with us then, um, coming up to his first birthday. So uh, it was it was a crazy period, but a period that taught us 
so much and especially the immense capacity of human beings to deal with um, an acutely challenging period of life yeah absolutely what what a an amount that he taught you in such a short period of time and and thanks for sharing that with us justin at that point you as a family are, are just in turmoil obviously in in so many ways but in in other ways you reverted to type as your coping mechanism uh, moving back to ireland and starting a new business but ultimately and i'll use the phrase again the body says no and things started to catch up on you uh, gradually as that began to happen your approach was was quite a brave one um, and and actually you started to pay attention for once um, <laughs> tell us tell us about that time and that transition and and what the years since joshua's um passing have looked like sound space will return after this brief message Join me, Lauren Gilfoyle, as I chat to people from all walks of life about how they take on the challenge to make, manage and prioritise habits that benefit their well-being despite the busyness of the world around them. As a chartered physiotherapist and student of sports psychology, I'm interested not only in our exercise preferences, but our relationship with physical activity and exercise and how that might change as our circumstances do. So join us as we explore how others have adapted and navigated this so that you might too reflect on how to create a lifestyle that better serves you. Sure. You know, I think it's, I was talking at an event the other day and I was just talking about the fact that when when my nephew Nabil died, um, one of my biggest fears was that one of my children would die. and and now I'm in the middle of my of my biggest fear, um. So it was quite an extraordinary place to get to, and I moved to the point of going. The best thing to do about this is nothing and bury it. Um. So I would have been advocating at the time that you know yes, um, my my son has died, but I've you know I'm moving on and pushing ahead, and that's where we got to go. Um. So I built another business, brought in shareholders, directors. Um, we had offices um, overseas, so I didn't even build something that was around the corner. Um, so within months of Joshua's death, I was I was flying three, four times a week, um, and and in the next two years, I would be flying 150, 200 times a year, and um, not really paying attention to what was going on. So what was going on was started off with sinusitis then it then it moved into um irritable belt syndrome um chronic pain um headaches um joint injuries um i was in hospital a couple of times with cardiac issues they thought i was having heart attacks um, then i had a leaky gut um and uh then i started to feel you know, or pay attention a little bit to the fact that maybe I wasn't feeling so well in my mind. But as I suppressed that, it was like whack-a-mole. It just kept appearing in my body and my body was really breaking down. Then I developed asthma, adult asthma. So I was now on chronic steroids. Um, I was on steroids for all these chronic injuries um, and and fatigue. So then I started to develop chronic fatigue. But I have this mindset that's just keep going, pushing, pushing, pushing. 
And eventually when the body says, no, well, yeah, you know, you need to pay attention. And, and, and the one thing I advocate all the time is pay attention to what's going on. Um, and I ended up in a, in a panic attack in a really important meeting. Um, and that panic attack um, led to my heart pounding like it was going to come out of my mouth. The left side of my body went into a paralysis. My my periphery vision failed. Um, but I stayed in the meeting because I needed to close the deal and felt like this is either a heart attack or a stroke. I'm not too sure which one it is, but I haven't fallen over and died. So I've probably got enough capacity to close the deal. Closed the deal, left the office, went back to my hotel um, and had a couple of glasses of whiskey um, and and thought, Jesus, I don't know what that is. Um, but anyway, eventually told my wife about this and she then, you know, gave me a metaphorical kick in the head and said, OK, it's time to, to get some help. Um, so I did. But, you know, everything was falling apart at that point and suicide started to appear on my horizon as a big solution because chronically each component part of my body was failing. You know, my liver is my kidney, my stomach, my heart, my joints, my brain, everything was, everything was, was, was disconnected and, and, and hurting. And eventually then the entire neurochemistry of the body is just disjointed and doesn't want to continue. So, um, I needed to find help. And I did, thankfully, and and here I am. Um, and uh, went into therapy with a with a therapist who would become my own teacher. Um, and and I learned to practice around the um, focus and an ability to manage and heal ourselves in terms of our nervous system, um, and in particular focusing on on the vagus nerve, um, cranial nerve ten, but how the richness of the knowledge from my teacher's lineage, which goes back 4,000 years to his Indian ancestors, um, uh, was was able to help me heal, recover, um, and find this immense capacity to realize that the guy who was having a panic attack but thought it was a heart attack was an idiot, um, and that if I don't deal with my mental health and lean into my pain, um, there is an inevitability that I will die. Um, and, I, and it brought me to a point where after six or eight, eight months of therapy, um, I asked him to be my teacher. And um, I spent two years um, working with him. And, and then um, at that stage, then um, I, I told my board and shareholders that I intended to leave and I was going to become a coach and therapist. Um, they were convinced I was lying and setting up a firm <laughs> in competition with them. Um, and uh, and I did and left and and here I am. So, yeah, lots of transitions in terms of diet and quitting alcohol and huge amounts of change that were needed. Um, but thankfully, I, I feel great now. Um, and, and it's exactly as you said at the start, Jack, it's paying attention. You used the phrase there were a series of words where you said you felt disconnected and you were hurting. Mm. The journey has been to reconnect and to heal. Yes. Which I find very interesting. And, and what I love is that you have blended uh, the ancient traditions of, of Buddhism and have trained with uh, Yamamushi monks, or monks 
in Japan um, who very much take an approach of nature as therapy, um, of simplicity and minimalism. Um, You have gone on to do a master's in mindfulness-based practices. Um, You have changed your diet to a plant-based approach. You are a daily sea swimmer um, with a huge advocate for the value of cold water um, in terms of uh, its capacity to regulate the nervous system. Um, And all of this is an effort to gradually reconnect and heal. And what's important for me about this is it's led you to a place that I can see of huge resilience. What I'm interested to learn is how your perception of resilience has changed in the way that you now work versus how you worked and lived previously. Because that hard charging CEO, up and coming career ambition um, is is a storyline that many people are, are led to believe is is the way to go. So, so talk to us about that. Yeah, great question. I think I'll say one thing and then I'll explain it, but I think it's, it's a difference between outside in and then inside out. And so, uh, as you say, from a spiritual context, um, I practice an ancient tradition called Shigendo and Shigendo, which which is which is held sacred by by the Yamabushi, um, is all about nature. I'm nature, you're nature. Outside, the trees are nature, the planet is nature, and when we disconnect, we hurt. And if you think about a tree, I could find a tree in my garden and I could decide that I'm going to reinforce it so that it's able to sustain the the the, the weather and the wind. So I reinforce the outside of the tree to help it. But in doing so, I start to kill the inside of the tree. So eventually, no matter how good the reinforcements are, the tree is going to just fall over and die. My decisions at 12, which were well-founded and very good to get me out of a situation I didn't want to be in, were creating this hard shell on the outside. I was, I was combative, I was tough. I'd grown up in, in really tough environments in school. Um, um, there was a, there's a, there's a guy, David Brophy, who's the head of the Irish Philharmonic Orchestra. And David was interviewed on Radio Free recently. And he went to the same schools as me and he was talking about how toxic the school environment was in terms of bullying and, and the physicality of, of, of these boys' schools. But I pushed through all that really quite well because I just created this toughness and that went through all of my business career and helped in London. But it it wasn't real core strength. It was that reinforcements on the outside. And the difference now is, and what I've learned in terms of the healing capacity is that I'm I'm building that from the center out. So it's, it's it's the inside strength that then creates a sense of comfort on the outside. Um, and it's, 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 
I suppose from a neuroscientific perspective where, where I spend so much of my time researching, you know, this is just homeostasis, right? You know, stay in balance and be able to be calm, knowing that things will still go wrong. You know, people will still not like what you have to say. And, I mean, you know, I, I put so much stuff up on social media and, and huge amounts of work on YouTube around the vagus nerve and our nervous system and, and, and everything else. But I also talk about the, the, pow- the power of having some type of faith. And, and of course, that can create an unease with people. But it's also to create that sense, for me, of the insignificance of me. You know, my, my ego, which was, you know, all pervasive in my 20s, um, needed to be brought back in line with myself and to be brought back inside myself and to build that sense of strength within the core and remove, you know, the, the shield, which is all battered on to the outside and just find that immense capacity within yourself to be strong because it's available for everybody we just have to pay attention yeah it's the extent to which we can uncover it or or discover it and i think that often that inner strength starts to emerge in times when when shit really hits the fan is when we're called to go looking for it and 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 that certainly happened in your life um You've mentioned it in different ways. You've called it the vagus nerve and you've called it cranial nerve 10. Um, Tell us about its importance in our regulation. You mentioned homeostasis as well. Um, Tell us just how important this nerve is and and how it actually relates to real life well-being uh, and uh, when it's managed well. Yeah, I mean it's it's quite interesting um, what we what we know about the vagus nerve um, and and you know we, we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, so Stephen Porges and polyvagal theory, which goes back to two thousand and one, is is a groundbreaking um, insight into this key part of the nervous system. So cranial nerve. Um, 10, the vagus nerve, and vagus comes from the Latin for wandering, is a nerve that touches all key parts of, of the body. And what's interesting is if you were to if you were to look at a central regulatory part of the body, which we never knew existed um, up until the late 90s, um, the vagus nerve is that place. And it's also brought us to the point of understanding that that even our autonomic nervous system and, and, and using the auto part of it is because we always assumed that so much of that part of our nervous system was without our capacity to intervene, can be influenced by our behaviors, our diet, our lifestyle, and our well-being. So what we know about the vagus nerve is that it's... Um, I suppose in its simplest form, it's the switch that turns on the fight-flight response or the rest and digest response. And as human beings, we should be 95% of the time in rest and digest, 5% in fight-flight. And that served us very well for 200,000 years as we became the most dominant um, force on the planet. Not necessarily for the right reasons, but that's another that's another topic. But we we were able to um, survive and thrive because when we were faced with an aggressor, we were able to fight, flight, or freeze. In what we've seen 
and the and the and the richness of the clinical data over the last 50 years has showing this this massive increase in in depression and anxiety which is so prevalent now in society and even more so in young people we're seeing what's actually the switch in terms of their fight and flight response is 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 nearly on 95% of the time and off 5%. And to to know what the sense of off is it's 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 that feeling that you would have that you would have felt when you were um, about to be caught or in trouble with something as a kid. You know, you were playing with matches or something, or you nearly broke a window, and you you think, "Oh my god, I'm going to get caught!" And then you get away with it, and you're like, oh, "Okay, I got away with it." And that's that down regulation. That's the nervous system moving into rest and recovery or the parasympathetic state, and the vagus nerve manages that. And it manages everything from from your emotions through to you know peristoesis, which is how the body processes food. So peristoesis is like a wave that runs through the body and allows the stomach and the bowels to operate in the right way. So as you are stressed, so when you when you move into a state of stress, you're in the fight flight response. Your your body has a quick check of everything, and it goes, okay, we're now under pressure. And this is a system that was designed to help you escape a saber-toothed tiger. And whilst we're under pressure, we don't need to continue to process our liver. We don't need to continue to do any particular works around our kidney. Our digestive system can be put on hold. Don't process food because we need to get ready to pump adrenaline into the system and run. Our heart and our valves and our heart open up and more blood is released. And our cognitive function switches off because whilst you're running from the saber-toothed tiger you don't need to think about the greater works of shakespeare so our body goes into this kind of reserve mode and we're then able to take immediate action however when we're stuck in this mode which is what happens now so i'm chronically stressed so i was chronically stressed as, as a child as, a, as somebody in my 20s but ultimately when the death of my son occurred, I had no more space to manage chronic stress. I'm trapped in this mode. And I, I explain it to people. It's when you have this kind of like sense of impending doom, like the other shoe is going to drop. And we now see social media and the intrusive nature of emails and text messages and work 24 hours a day means that your phone is almost like the saber-toothed tiger and it's stimulating your nervous system into a stress state. So what happens is we see people presenting with IBS, with leaky gut, with sinus issues, with um, bowel issues, with um, diarrhea, with constipation. We see kidney issues. We see liver issues. We see chronic stress. We see chronic anxiety. And all of these can be directly related back to how is your vagus nerve operating? And what are we looking to achieve? Homeostasis, balance in terms of our capacity to just be happy, healthy humans. And it's and it's there. And, and the most amazing thing is my, my teacher who's Indian, who when I, I'd gone off and you know, really nerded out on the on the neuroscience, and I came back to him and I was saying this to him, and 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 he's not so interested in neuroscience because his knowledge is four thousand years old. 
And he just kind of smiles at me and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, the vagus nerve. He said, also have a look at the Kundalini serpent in Kundalini yoga and see how it wraps around the body and why we think it's so important. And I went back and looked at it. And when in Kundalini, they use a serpent which wraps around the chakras of the body and it, it touches all of the key component parts. So in 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 Hindu and Sufi traditions, um, they figured it out 4,000 years ago. But of course, in the West, we try and claim it in the last 20 and we've nailed it. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, we often turn to science when science proves something. Uh, it's it's proving what we knew all along, um, which is interesting. And I find this fascinating because there are very real ways that we can regulate the vagus nerve and help us mm -hmm. to uh, downshift is what I term it as uh, from from the it's almost like in a car if you're driving at too high of a speed the engine is getting overheated the engine is under stress if you go that speed for too long what you need to do is is look at the dials and recognize hold on I'm speeding here I'm in the red zone I need to check in and, and adjust my speed I need to downshift hit the brakes a little bit and the brakes can be uh, thought of as activating that rest and digest that parasympathetic nervous system um, another distinction I'd love to make is is that you know when we spend too much time like in a, in a stress is a natural response it's a helpful response actually oh, yeah. the problem happens is when we spend too much time in stress and it turns from stress to distress mm -hmm. and i find that to be an important distinction when talking about uh the vagus nerve and and our, our stress responses because if we don't have a, uh, an active stress response, we can't respond to the events in our lives that that require that. Um, but as you said, it's when it when we get out of the balance, when it's there five to ten percent of the time, fantastic. But if we're in that zone all the time, our body starts to actually break down, and and you saw very real evidence of that in your life from from anxiety and, and mental health challenges to IBS to uh, asthma and, and any number of other things like leaky gut and, and so on, the joint pain is the dysregulation. What are some of the practices that people can instill in, in their daily lives? Um, because this isn't a quick fix. No, it's not, right? And, and, and I think you know, it, it, the, the whole idea of, of, you know, immediate change is challenging. Um, I, I'm working with somebody at the moment who suffered from depression since the 1990s. And, and, and he's been um, passed to me by, by a, um, a HSE um, therapist who, who says they've, they've kind of come to the end of their line with them. They've medicated him all the way through his life. And we're two months into working together. And, and, you know, somebody who's that ill has 30 years of one behavior, and now we're trying to change that into a new behavior. So whatever changes that you want to make, realize that it is a slow process, but it is an immediate process because as soon as you start, you are already implementing the change. And you need to be able to connect to the nervous system and help it heal. 
Um, and I, I think a, a, the best way to try and start is is to accept where you are, because life can often feel like a, a shaken snow globe and we're, we're out of control and there's so much going on within me. So being able to find a sense of acceptance and, and accept as you are right now is so important. And I work with a very simple process of, of getting people to literally speak to themselves in the mirror every morning and repeating the fact that I accept myself as I am. Like with all of the things that I don't like about me, I can accept on myself as I am now. And that creates a platform. You know, it doesn't say we don't want to dismiss the things that you think that are wrong with you, but just bring them all here. You know, they're all here anyway. So bring them all here, create that sense of sense of platform and acceptance, because when you accept it all, then you can start looking at ways to intervene. And then that really triggers a whole host of things. But I think the most rich and, and impactful ways to move as quickly as possible towards that are looking at your diet and in particular understanding your microbiome. So if anybody um, has time, go and go and read up and, and look about how to improve your microbiome. So a lot of the times people are taking steroids and medication for, for various illness, illnesses and ailments, and that's killing the natural flora and fauna in the stomach which has a real impact on how your brain is fed. So diet is important. Clean your diet. You don't have to go plant-based, but please get enough fruit and vegetables because fiber um, promotes peristoesis, which is the movement of food through your body. And peristoesis will mean that you at least start to get rid of the toxic things out of your body. So diet is key. Drinking enough water is key. And then if you want to get into some cold water, hold on, Jack, he drinks water. I'm, I'm drinking coffee at the moment, so I, I won't lift my coffee cup while you're drinking your water. <laughs> um, but cold water then, in terms, of, in terms of getting into a cold shower, you don't have to go to the sea to swim. You can just start with 30 seconds of cold water um, in the shower. Because once the cold water hits your body, your vagus nerve is, is triggered. And even washing your face at night with cold water triggers the vagal response. And all we're trying to do is we're trying to get a muscle to expand and contract again. Because quite often, the best way to try and think about it is it's expanded and it doesn't know how to contract again. Um, and, and leaky gut, which, which was the most horrendous um, um, physical ailment I think I had, effectively is like a, a burst hole in your stomach. But leaky gut becomes because the, the tiny muscle tissues of your stomach, which expand and contract within digestion, end up kind of flabby and out of shape and they stay open. And then the acid pierces a hole through them and you're just pouring um, all of the toxic stuff from your stomach into your body and you have acid reflux and huge issues in terms of your, your mental and physical health. Um, but I had leaky gut. I had all these things. I have nothing. You know, it's it's five years of of good living, no alcohol, clean diet, movement, cold water, meditation, faith. You know, not a kind of evangelical faith. Just guess what? I'm not the most important person in the world. That's really helpful to remove your ego. Deepak Chopra calls ego edging God out. Um, and I think it's just you know. Get real, get simple, and take care of yourself and pay attention, and you can heal from anything.
fantastic. I think what's so important is how accessible this is. Um, yeah. This doesn't cost, and it doesn't have to cost, you know, um, when I'm a pharmacist, um, I see people coming in every week medicating and every opportunity I have is is to say, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be this way. Now, there's a place and a time for medications. Totally. And there is any number of conditions that medications do remarkable work on. They add quality of life in in so many different scenarios. Um, in an acute setting, they're incredibly impactful for any number of different things. And particularly some of the more high-tech medications are working wonders for, for rare diseases and so on. But to build a base, to get the basics right, to move regularly, to sleep well, to eat clean, as you said, to reconnect with our breathing and mindfulness practices, um, cold water exposure, these are some of the most simple building blocks, but they need to be done regularly. And yeah. this is where I think life, if we let it, can get in the way and and a, a, a missed day turns into a missed week and, and all of a sudden uh, the good habits that we've been instilling are no more. And and so really, this is a lifestyle practice and approach that you've you've undertaken. Totally, yeah, absolutely spot on. Um, I think I I gave a talk um last week to the Irish ME Trust, um, and there was a couple of hundred people on on the talk, and I walked through all of this, and and then um and you know if you want to uh, know who's an expert on on the vagus nerve go to anybody who has an autoimmune disease um and they've generally um come to know it pretty well because the 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 eventual outcome with with chronic stress is is an autoimmune disease and and you know asthma and and leaky gut and and chronic pain and fatigue they're all autoimmune diseases as is multiple sclerosis as is me um as is um, um parkinsons these things are um, not genetic. Um, there's there's small percentages of people where there's a genetic handover, but even in those genetic situations, we believe that people are more likely to have them from epigenetics. So it's it's because their parents suffered it and it was passed through um, usually um, uh, early childhood. So it is a case of paying attention, slowing down. And on this talk with the ME Trust, um, a couple of people had said, well, you know, I've tried, you know, meditation is a huge part of my day every day. I've tried meditation and, and that didn't work. And then I, you know, I've, I've tried to clean up my diet and that didn't work. And I quit alcohol for a while. And and I said to them, and I said, look, you know, I'm on here to be very honest with everybody here. And, I, and I'm going to be very blunt with you to say that the mindset that I had as a 20 year old, which was driven and determined is still the mindset that helped me recover from all of these mental and physical illnesses. And when I work with people on a one-to-one -one basis, the mantra is, if you come to work with me, you follow my mantra, which is I wake up every day, I show up for myself before I do anything for anybody else. 
I do the work in terms of what's needed for my own well-being, and then I repeat it again the next day. And people go, oh, yeah, but it's very hard, though. You know, there's a lot there. And I think, well, you do realize how miserable you feel at the moment, and you felt like that for two years, five years, 20 years, 30 years. So we do have to do work to take care of ourselves. You know, we're, 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 we are this being that needs regulation. So it is important to do it and it is important to show up. But it's also important to realize nobody else is coming to save you. Unless you take care of yourself, it ain't going to work out well. And Jack, you know this full well. You know, you know how important it is to maintain and manage your physical and mental health. And as much as the love that you have around you is there, if we have this dependency on other people to try and take care of ourselves, that hurts. So we have to have interdependent relationships. So yes, people in our lives can show up and help us, but we at the core of our being need to first take care of ourselves. And then if we do, we're good human beings to our friends, our families, our loved ones, our children. But first of all, it is yourself, number one. And then in that self less act you start to heal not selfish self you have to just go in and go i need to take care of myself this is important absolutely um i think you know each one of us is the most important person in our worlds um and and caring for the self is actually putting us in a position to show up better for the people around us uh, when I when I speak uh, on on well being, in particular, I talk about showing up for yourself so that you can show up for others, and um, because it only lasts so long when you're showing up for others and not yourself, um, you're you're the the fountain that needs to be renewed regularly. Um, something that I have had to learn is actually this thing that we call resilience is only something that we can really recognize when we look backwards. We say, you know, I dealt with that in it, the way that I got through that challenge. I had a healthy response to it. I didn't deny the hardship of it. I, I acknowledged the challenges, but I kept showing up regardless. And um, something that particularly COVID has taught me and this period is the sort of idea that there is no end to this in terms of exactly what you said it's wake up show up do the work and repeat and repeat and repeat and and we don't ever get there we're 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 there all the time if we keep doing that um so so i love that um justin if people want to learn a little bit more about you um if they want to get involved in um for example some of your meditation work um uh, or engage you 
in any other way, where can they go to learn a little bit more? Thanks, Jack. So there's there's a whole ton of free resources. If you go to YouTube um, and, and look up Justin Caffrey on YouTube, um, you'll find a whole host of free meditations and um, talks around the vagus nerve, mental health, resilience, recovery. Uh, um, if you want to work with me directly, you can go to my website, justincaffrey.com. Um, and you can follow me on social media on um, Instagram and uh, LinkedIn, Justin Caffrey again, where I post um, most days just around simple little things that we can do. But um, but most importantly, realize that, you know, you can do all this yourself. Um, and, and, and if you want to learn that, just come onto the YouTube channel, you know, spend a bit of time watching some of the videos and, and start implementing small little changes in your life um, that you will be thanking yourself that you did in the future. Justin Caffrey, thank you very much. Thanks, Jack. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, we spoke to Justin Caffrey about loss, grief, healing and health, and what success really means. We hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for more. This podcast was brought to you by Soundspace, the go-to place for all the latest podcasts on topics such as mental well-being, nourishment, parenting, and health and fitness.